Hey, and welcome to the first ever Herald's podcast, produced by Women's Ministries of the Salvation Army, New Zealand, Fiji, Tonga and Samoa. I'm your host, Rosie Keane. Join us each episode to hear the courageous stories of Wahine Toa, mighty woman, to spur you on in your mission with Jesus Christ in the everyday. Psalm 68:11 says, The Lord announces the word, and the women who proclaim the good news are a mighty army. We are those women, and we are that army. We're so excited to be joined by our guest today, Hannah Medland. Uh, Hannah is the Territorial Children's Mission Director, uh, a friend of mine, a Salvationist who goes to Miramar Salvation Army Corps. We're in Wellington right now, so it's just down the road. And we are looking forward to catching up with Hannah to find out exactly what it is that fuels her sense of mission and the power of the Holy Spirit through Hannah's testimony, through the way she lives out Jesus in her everyday and in her community, and the things that help her connect with the Salvation Army, uh, but most of all with God. So uh, let's get started. Hannah! Thank you for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. You are our very first Herald. Uh, so Herald is based on, I wrote it on my hand, uh, Psalm 68:11. The Lord announces the word and the women who proclaim the good news are a mighty army. And I just thought that was so cool. Um, you are a woman of integrity. You're a woman of power. You're a woman who I admire. Um, and I would just love to get to know you a little bit better. And yes. I'd love for everyone else to know. <laughs> I love the name, by the way. You're like the queen of puns. So I love the <laughs> hair queen, and herald. It's good. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> so, Hannah, uh, one thing that I think about you is you are a culture maker. You're somebody who, when we uh, talk together, you set a dream and a vision of what the culture could look like um, in the Salvation Army, in our lives, uh, in the millennial age group. Um, could you tell me a bit about um, your vision for the Salvation Army as a culture? Ooh, okay. Well, I have grown up in the Salvation Army, um, so have, I suppose, been part of the culture in my way. Um, and I think just where I'm at now and who I am, I'm understanding even more, like, what our name even means you know the salvation army and that the key word oh well there's i guess a couple of keywords but that keyword of salvation and so for me i want our culture to be about others and we're known as an army as a group of people who are for the others um who you know we bless that's just who we are we bless people and we're hospitable and we go out of our way to support others um and I think that word others, that's that's just who we are. And um, but also in terms of my work with the Salvation Army, because that's my that's my almost every day, probably Saturdays is not so army centric, but in my work Monday through Friday, um, I wanna be a place um, of innovation and that's who the Salvation Army's been over time. I wanna be a place um, of empowering leadership. And I think that we can certainly be more intentional around our conversation about that and setting the culture around leadership for young people, for millennials, um, for women. And I've talked to you a lot about that, Rosie, and I learned lots from you. Um, but yeah, how can we always have a mindset of others? I think that that's what I would like to see. And I think that's who we've been. And I'm not saying that that's not who we are now, but I think that we can reclaim that and make that so just intrinsic in who we are. Um, yeah. That's awesome. Uh, Catherine Booth has a quote on that front that says, you were not put on this earth for yourselves. You were put here for others. Mm. The world is waiting for you. And I think that's really, uh, it's a beautiful thing to have a call for others. So you mentioned um, others might not look like how we picture in our heads. Um, what do you think helps us see other human beings um, like Christ? How do we see Jesus in those people who look different from us, who uh, might not fit the mold of what we think is acceptable to receive, like charity almost? You know, if you see a homeless person on the street, you might think, oh, okay, well, that's an other. But what does it looked like in a core on a Sunday where you maybe have seen the same person for 10 years straight but they 
hadn't ever belonged? How do you mm. see others in a new light? Mm. I think, I mean, this sort of sounds like a simple answer, but um, I think it's quite profound when you really consider it as, I really need to be shaped by the Holy Spirit and I need to know Jesus. And um, I'm doing this study at the moment and it talks about most of us, we know Jesus's greatest hits, but we don't really know Jesus. And I think when we know Jesus, God's Holy Spirit does this work in us that transforms us. And I've experienced this for myself as you start getting prompts and seeing things differently. Um, And so I think, like I said, I think that sounds simple and a little bit cheesy, but I'm understanding more and more how the Holy Spirit really just changes who we are on the inside and helps us see um, those things and others. I think as well, another really important question that um, has been raised for me is in every person I see what's something you find attractive about that person and it could be a physical thing but it could be a personality or character thing or skill um and I've started asking myself that question when I see people what's the one thing that you find attractive about them um and I think that that's important I heard someone talking this morning about how we don't have to like everyone but we should love everyone and I don't know how I sit on that, but it did grind a little bit for me because I think that there's something likable about pretty much everyone who we meet. Um, I'm not like walking into, you know, the people who we would say maybe are pure evil, um, but I'm sure there are things people liked about them too. But yeah, what I think in everyone we can find something that we like because God's placed something of himself in every person. Mm. We're all created in his image. And, um, Another quote that I love is that even on my worst day, God still loves me. And even on my worst day, Jesus would still die on that cross for me. And on my worst day, I'm pretty ugly. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And I think um, thinking about others, yeah, we do have to be really intentional. We love the familiar. We love to be with people who are like us. We love to be with people who validate who we are and like who we are. So we have to be really selfless in pursuing relationship with others um and it is uncomfortable um so for me it's about having a rhythm of that habits of that and i'm trying to um create some rhythms in my own life that um propels me out into the world propels me out into the place of others um because i genuinely believe that in forming those habits my mind is shaped as well so i hope that answered your question (laughs) I love that. So what are you said rhythms? What are some of the rhythms that you're trying to set in your life? Mm. Well, I'm, I've read a book and so I'm using this at the moment. Um, and, um, this book, it's pretty much like Christianity 101 for me. Um, but in its simplicity, it's huge, I think. So I want every week I want to bless people intentionally. Um, and not just, the simple things that I do every day anyway, but I want to go out of my way to bless people every week. And I want to eat with people every week. So I want to eat with people from my church and people who know God, but I want to eat with people who don't know God yet. And the idea of sitting around the table with someone um, obviously is centuries and centuries old. If That's how you spend time and really get to know people well. So who am I eating with? Who am I spending time with who doesn't know God yet? And how can we start to build those deep conversations as we do that Mm. together I want every week I want to learn about Jesus so that means that every week I'm reading the gospels and understanding more about who Jesus is it doesn't have to be every day but at least one day in a week I'm learning about Jesus um I'm listening to the Holy Spirit and like I'm so guilty of like just coming to God and doing the like little like praise you but then here's my shopping list of prayer requests please God and so you're having that intentional time just to listen for the Mm. spirit what would he say to me am I becoming more familiar with the sound of his voice or or her voice whatever however you picture God um and then remembering that I'm sent and being really intentional about being sent to my community and sort of keeping on track of those things, um, having particular people who I'm journeying along with. But yeah, I'm a missionary in this place, so who are the people who I'm called here for? So yeah, those are from this book, Surprise the World. And for me, that's helping me frame um, this rhythm, these habits for me. 
I'm not a very routine person, so I need something to help me do it. Um, so, yeah, and I, like people say to me, that just sounds like what a Christian is. And I'm like, yeah, so how come we're not doing it? That's good. So, surprise the world. So, were there a set, was there a number of. Yeah, so it's the five habits of highly missional people. And the idea is that we live these lives by, by having these habits. And they're habits that we'll have from now until when Jesus comes back. By living this lifestyle, we live questionable lives. Um, and it's lives that people ask questions about. How did you forgive that person? Why would you take those people into your home? What does that mean that you're a soldier? Um, why do you keep blessing me? Why do you keep giving me things? Why do you keep helping me? Asking these questions about why we live this life. And that creates an opportunity for us to share our faith. And I think that a lot of us, we feel like evangelism, we have to be like the gifted evangelists who when they're sitting on the plane, they are converting the person next to them. And the reality is that's 10% of the population. Um, and I'm not a gifted evangelist. So, but me living this lifestyle where people ask questions, that's creating an opportunity now. And I can just answer their questions graciously, but I've got so many opportunities available to me for someone who's a gifted evangelist to then be able to preach the gospel or to share a word right for that person. And I also believe that God's Holy Spirit, his power might in that moment give me the words. Um, but sort of taking off that pressure of, I have to convert every person I see, actually, my role is to live a life that glorifies God and people will ask questions about that and they're going to want to find answers to those questions. So, yeah, that's sort of what I'm doing at the moment and it's hard. It's hard to stay on top of it, um, particularly for a non-routine person who would just, like, sleep and Netflix and whatever in her spare time if she could. So it's a commitment to that life of sacrifice, that life of being others-focused, that life. I like the word that you use, questionable, um, when you see that in literary um, kind of use, it's a questionable character, somebody is a little bit dodgy, but actually we're doing things that are so extravagant out of our love for Jesus that it's causing people to question, but they might also think, you know, you're a bit crazy. I like that, it's a very cool um, aspect. And I like that it's not like an overly difficult thing. So these are, I eat however many meals, three times seven meals a day, plus I have multiple coffees in there. So I'm doing this anyway, so why not do it with someone else? And I can easily bless three people in a week. Um, it just requires a little bit of thinking ahead, being intentional. Um, of course I want to be looking at what the Word says and learning more about God and about Jesus. So, you know, these aren't things that I'm having to go way out of my way to do and put heaps of money into or whatever. whatever. This just fits into my daily lifestyle, but sort of shifts my my perception or my mindset a little bit so I'm working on it um you have to ask me in a few months how it's going <laughs> we'll do that um I really like something that you said when we were talking the other day about um listening to different leaders so you're obviously spending time reading books you're spending time pursuing practices that you think will help um, you look more like Jesus to be more sensitive to the spirit and something that you said to me was um, that when you are listening to something you ask yourself is what I'm listening to what I want to be soaking in how does that apply to the conversations you have to uh, perhaps sermons you're listening to to what does that look like mm. to you yeah I guess uh, what this came out of for me was I was I'd come across this blogger and there was something about this person that um, was really of interest to me. Um, and it was about a really important subject, I think, but also a subject that I feel like people can speak about in ways that maybe I wouldn't agree with if I was informed. So what I really wanted to ask myself was, do I like what this person's saying? Because if I don't know, then I'm going to be soaking this up. And I think there's the argument that, you know, you can take what's good and leave what's bad, but that requires you knowing what the good bit is and what the bad bit is. And I just wanted to make sure that what was there was good and that I wouldn't be taking in things that were negative or wouldn't fit with my beliefs. Um, so I thought about that in that context. And then... Um, I thought was just thinking just in life the people I'm spending time with the sorts of shows that I'm choosing to watch 
uh, are these the sorts of things I want to be soaking up? Because if I'm not intentional about it, I'm soaking them up and they're just becoming part of who I am. And we talk about kids being like sponges, but I think we stay as sponges. We do just soak up what we're taking in. And maybe some of us can choose to take the good and leave the bad, but you have to know what's good and what's bad. And we don't always know what's good and what's bad for us. Um, so yeah, particularly around the people we spend time with, because you become like who you spend time with. So is what they're saying, what I want to be soaking up. I have to ask myself that question. And in terms of thinking about others as well, it might be that I spend time with someone who the sorts of things they say or do, they're not actually things that I want for myself. That's just, that's what Jesus was like too. He was spending time with those people. But in asking myself the question, is what they're saying what I want to be soaking up? I'm way more prepared for then what I'm taking in. And I think as well, another thing that caused me to think about this was um, I was talking to a girl who I mentor at church. And she was saying, she was watching the show Riverdale. And I was like, oh, okay. And she said, well, I thought it was fun because I know that like you watch it and other people at church watch it. And I was like, oh my gosh, now am I the model for what's acceptable to watch and not watch? So I really had to think, okay, well, I mean, if I was this girl's mother, for instance, would I be wanting her to watch this show? Um, and then I thought, well, I'm watching this show. What am I soaking up? What's becoming, ex you know, what's just becoming normal for me? Or yeah, it was, it was a good challenge. And yeah. I mean, I like the show Riverdale, but <laughs> it's good to ask about everything that we're consuming, the people we spend time with. What are they saying? Is it good? Do I want to soak it up? So what would you say um, if you're in a situation where you're asking yourself this question and the answer is resoundingly, no, this is not what I want to be soaking up, whether it's uh, maybe somebody's um, bagging on someone else or maybe it's um, a conversation that is just getting a bit low brow like what would you say in that situation or how would you respond to a situation where the answer uh, is what I'm listening to what I want to be soaking up mm. and the answer is no no yeah I think um I've worked through this with a friend actually just really recently and I think um so often in those moments we make a choice without thinking but I think that there's some cues to help us realize what choice we're making. So sometimes we like physically lean into a conversation or we physically lean into something or maybe we can feel ourselves mentally doing that. And at that point, that's when I need to lean back and just remind myself to ask that question. And particularly around people, I find that really hard in, in a conversation, particularly if they're good friends, to say, whoa, this is not a conversation we should be having we shouldn't be talking about people that way or in that leaning back maybe I'm not part of it but I'm privy to it so it's like I'm saying this is okay so in that leaning back is this how can I respond to this and I think a good question is what does my best self do in this moment and how can I help these people be their best selves and it might be as simple as saying all right come on we want to be our best selves so what would our best selves do in this situation guys um, yeah, I think it's similar to what would Jesus do? Mm. Those sorts of questions. But it's hard because we make the decision without thinking a lot of the time. We don't have that bird's eye view. But for me, when you can feel yourself leaning in or being like sort of pulled in, really interested, wanting to say something, or as well, maybe there's a Holy Spirit prompting of this feels gross, lean back. And in that leaning back, we're much more prepared to be able to respond in a way that is of our best self. I like what you said at the start of the conversation about seeing others in a new way, um, even if they don't look as um, like similar to us as we'd like. And I wonder if um, learning to see others, like Jesus and others, will help us not objectify them. So um, in mm. the scriptures it says, um, you know, if you see a rich man and you tell him, come sit here with me, but you see a poor person and you tell them, go sit on the floor, have you not judged in your heart already? Mm. And sometimes perhaps um, as a charity-based church, we can see others a certain way as in they should look this way and therefore they're lesser than me, so I'm going to put them here. 
uh, that objectifies them and even our charity objectifies them because it's a hand out rather than an open hand into community. Mm. So I like what you're saying that when we are in those groups and somebody is saying something um, that maybe is tearing another person down or is usually if you're feeling, starting to feel uncomfortable the Holy Spirit, there is somebody who's being slandered or harmed who's not present in the conversation. So maybe that idea of others and what would Jesus do? I mean, Jesus is in that other person who's not being spoken about mm-hmm. will help us to um, stand up and do the right thing and, and be like Christ if we know what he looks like. Um, I love that, Hannah. Thanks. And I think, I think as well, so often when we do realize we have the choice, we know that there's kind of this choice between the Christ-like part of us and the really human flesh part of us. And the human flesh part of us is always made to look way more attractive because we know the other person wants us to also fall into speaking about a person in a certain way or whatever. Um, But I always feel better when I choose the God way. And I think that's what our faith boils down to. It's in those moments when we're really conscious, that's when we're supposed to be Christ-like. And so often I think it's with our fellow disciples of Jesus when we've got an issue with them or we have a problem with them whether we want to choose to forgive them or not we choose the human way rather than the God way and that's what I think our faith boils down to is those decisions that we come across every day so good challenge for me (laughs) I'm certainly not there um but yeah I'm just stoked I've got I'm so blessed I've got people around me who I'm having these sorts of conversations with and those are the people I want to spend time with because they help me be the better me and I want to be someone who inspires and encourages people to be the better them so yeah uh, circling back to what you said before about the young woman from your church saying oh you you watch Riverdale so I can it makes me think about Paul says Um, imitate me as I imitate Christ and whenever I read that I just think who is this guy (laughs) like who can claim that so boldly and yet that's what we are called to be and do is to imitate Christ and then call others to imitate us as we imitate Christ Um, and that's how we grow people up in the faith to connect them to Jesus that's a big call Uh, yeah I think it's like that question again is what I'm saying is what I'm doing what I want them to be soaking up Oh, that's a good one. Is what I'm doing what I would want others to be soaking up? Yeah. And if the answer is no, go back to Jesus and search afresh. Now, you were saying uh, that you are looking to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. For those who don't um, perhaps know terminology around the Holy Spirit, we believe there is the Father, Son, Holy Spirit as part of the Godhead. Um, and that the Holy Spirit is, it says in the Bible, the one who is the helper and the advocate um, who will lead us in the way of all truth. And so how do you engage with the Holy Spirit? What does that look like? Because we can make references to the Holy Spirit and listening, but how do you, Hannah Midland, pursue the Holy Spirit in your life? I think, I mean, there's practical things that I do, so I just sort of get myself out of my normal routine I'll go for a walk and for me like nature and I know for a lot of people nature is just a place I want to be and I think nature just screams of God's amazing character his creativity and of his glory so for me getting out and praying like words of praise and thankfulness to God sort of just places me in that space and as well like I walk around my um, peninsula and just sort of like pray over that place so that's like a really practical thing that I do um but I also know and I haven't always known this I need to get into the word because so often I say I want to hear from God okay he's written a whole book of words (laughs) so come on um and I'm, I think, slowly starting to become more familiar with what the Holy Spirit sounds like for me. Um, and sometimes I test what I think I've heard. So even just recently I had a day where I was really just wanting to wait on God. It was around a work thing. And I'd said, I really don't want to make a decision on this until I've heard from God. And during this day that I had um, praying and even just sitting in silence, trying to just cast thoughts off and just listen... Um, 
there was a thought that day which didn't feel like this like lightning bolt holy spirit god speaking to me moment but it felt like something i hadn't th- I, I hadn't ever thought of before it didn't feel like it came from my brain um and i guess in a way it was like a little bit unfamiliar so it didn't sound like hannah's voice um and so i thought okay maybe that's maybe that's god i'm not sure so kind of just tested that with people and I think in that, that's really confirmed for me, actually, yeah, I, I think that was from God. Another thing that I just rest in, though, is in those moments when it's, I think that that's from God, and other people think that that sounds like God's voice, that's the best that I've got right now, and that's the best that I know right now, and I think this is something you said for me, Rosie, is um, do what you know best for now until you know better, and I think that that's how I'm living um, with God is, I, I, I think that this is what God said, um, and other people have said that that sounds like God, um, so I'm gonna live that way, but of course still be saying to God, I want to hear from you, I want to know what your word would say, what your Holy Spirit would want me to do, um, yeah, so it's definitely learning for me, but a prayer that I pray really often is, God, help me become more familiar with the sound of your voice, Obviously, for all of us, I think it sounds different. So, yeah, what? how can I recognize your voice? What is that familiar sound? And, yeah, I think being in the Word, speaking with godly people, um, yeah, that's what I need to do. I need to do it more. So that's been a theme of what we've been talking about today is you've said um, recognizing, 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 like recognizing God's voice, recognizing what Jesus looks like, recognizing the Holy Spirit Mm. when the Holy Spirit is prompting you. Um, How do you think that other people or the rhythms in your life or church on a Sunday or or whatever it is that constitutes that um, body of believers for you, how do they help you recognize the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in your life? Mm. I think um, these habits are modelled off of Jesus and the early church. Um, So I think even in just being like those people, um, my mind is being transformed, and I think that's helping me to recognise more what would be of God, what would be Jesus' way. And I like to think of it as like, a way as well, like a path, as I sort of go along this way, it becomes easier to recognize the path. So in doing it, I'm starting to know more about what this looks like. Um, And that whole idea of not just knowing Jesus's greatest hits, but knowing everything about his life. And you know, I can tell you like almost anything about Chip and Joanna Gaines, who have the show Fixer Upper. Like I've visited their city, I've bought their merchandise, I've watched like every episode of their show, I can tell you their kids' names, I know everything about them. Can I do the same about Jesus? Because if not, how much can I really be like him? How much can I really recognize him? So yeah, I think I think we underestimate the power of the word. I'm so guilty of this, but it's God's words right there. It's showing me who God is. It's showing me who Jesus is. So I need to know it. I need to know it, and I want my kids to know it. The my the kids I serve with, um, and I serve for, and um, yeah. So what ways can I? get engaged in the word, I think it's in like talking it over, asking the questions, even just like watching videos of the word. I love to listen to podcasts, so I listen to people preaching. Um, Yeah, I think that's a simple thing that we hear a lot of the time, and I've just had to take it seriously, and find people who talk inspirationally about it to motivate me. I've got to keep finding that motivation, and um, I believe that those motivations come from God. God's placed these like prophets and people around who are encouraging me and motivating me along the way. Um, yeah. I don't know if I've answered your question. <laughs> That's really good. And I hear from you um, the recurring theme of the discipline of the rhythm almost so I know in church we're often told you know have spiritual disciplines but that's where that kind of um, main thrust seems to end like go and do the discipline yeah and that sounds boring to me oh I'm so not a disciplined person 
But from what you're saying, that the discipline is the um, launching of the rocket and the flying is the rhythm, is that suddenly mm. as you're pursuing Jesus, as you're trying to see um, the face of God and listen to the Holy Spirit, suddenly you're flying and it becomes a rhythm. And it doesn't mean that's not still without cost, but it becomes um, something that gives you a view of who God is, how he sees others in the church. Mm. And it doesn't feel like such a... that discipline like launching the rocket continually maybe that's where some people are stuck is I'm trying a new bible study or I'm trying a new this or a new that well try something and stick with it and see how it becomes a rhythm of grace in your life and do it with people like another great motivator is someone asking you every week okay who did you bless this week (laughs) oh you can only do so many weeks of well actually I didn't think about that before you will be planning to bless people that week so you don't have to answer no again Either that or you stop turning up to the life group. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I think I'll keep going to the life group and um, yeah, and, and it's not it's not that they're like telling me off at all. It's good for me to be kept accountable. That's what I want. So yeah, doing it with people, living this lifestyle, and I think that that's the power in it for me is this is something that our whole church is committed to. So for our whole core, we want to be surprising the world with these questionable lives. Um, and it's fun to do something all together. I think we're going to have fun. And that idea of community makes it fun. So, yeah. Now, something that you um, have spoken with others and me about before has been about the absolute um, wonder and privilege that children have in um, encountering Jesus in a real and present way because they don't compartmentalize their spirituality and your picture that you painted for me was quite vivid was the fact that kids haven't yet been taught to separate things out into boxes means that spirituality encountering Jesus is just as much as part of their life as watching um, television hanging upside down on a couch eating Oreos and asking does Jesus have a brother and I just loved that picture of integration of wholeness in Māori, whole water, like all the parts of the house working together, the mental, spiritual, physical, emotional. Children see Jesus just bleeding into every part of their spirits and I love that. So what is something that we could learn from children? Is it possible to unlearn that separation, that compartmentalising as adults or is it not? Are we ruined, basically, as we've learned to kind of, this is work life, this is home life, and this is my devotional time with Jesus for five minutes a day. What were your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I guess, again, it's a thing about needing to be really intentional. And I think, yeah, what's great about kids, the good news is that's just how their spirituality is. Before, particularly before they're seven, that's just what their faith is. It's every day. It's integrated. Um, even if it's not in a Christian faith, just in spirituality, we know this about children. It's just part of who they are. So the good news is that's how pretty much all kids start. Um, so yeah, part of what I would want to say is let's not teach them to compartmentalize it. So that in 20 years, um, even in 10 years, we have adults who it is just part of who they are. But for those of us who have been taught that, um, I think it is about intention and I think we have to bring faith into everything that we do. And I think I had some, I said to someone sort of off the cuff recently, everything we do is spiritual. And they said, What? And I was like, yeah, I don't know where that came from either. Um, but I think it's true. We're spiritual beings. We have souls. I think everything we do has a spiritual implication. Um, and so why wouldn't I be intentional about how I'm nurturing my spirit and the spirit of those around me, um, how I'm bringing God into all that I do? So I think it is the, when, you, when you're sitting down having a meal with fellow Christians, fellow followers of God, why would God not be part of that? Um, and I think if God's not part of it, that sort of says something about our relationship with God. Um, yeah, I think as well when we're thinking about with our kids, we're really scared that we're going to get it wrong. And another picture I've got is so often we treat God 
like fine china and like it only comes out on spiritual uh, on special occasions and we're really careful with it and everyone's sort of like tense and like maybe only the grown-ups can handle it or the really wise people can handle it or the pastor only they can handle it and then you know we have the thing and we're trying not to scratch it out as we eat our dinner and then it's getting washed in the sink and then as it's dried we all breathe a sigh of relief as it gets put away. And I don't think that that's what it was supposed to be like. I think God's supposed to be like the everyday plates and carts. So, you know, like it's getting biffed across the lounge um, so that brother or sister can do the dishes. And it's coming in the car as you're running late for soccer. And it's the favorite one. And even though the handle's broken off, you still want to drink out of it. Um, so, yeah, I think we just we just got to do it and it feels awkward and uncomfortable so find the people who like doing it with you and do it with them um yeah and what are just small things that you can do so maybe it's even just oh I, can we say grace over this meal can we bless this meal like that might be the start of a conversation as well don't take it personally i've had friends who i've um, been having lunch with and they ask how I am and I say oh you know I'm actually so good because we had this really like powerful prayer time at church today and I love praying alongside my dad because he's so passionate and it's like awakening this passionate spirituality in me and they sort of just like stared blankly back at me and said nice job Hannah and it was so disheartening because <laughs> I was kind of like putting my vulnerable self out there so that's okay though because I find someone like you and I have the same conversation and it's like totally acknowledged and validated and we can talk more about God and about spirituality so find the people who you can do it with they're around um and yeah for me I wasn't always this way for me it was my dad who really has like drawn that out of me um and so and spending time with those people it fosters that in you yeah Cool. So there's a real um, cry in your spirit to be connected with like-minded believers and people who spur you on, but also people who draw something out of you, which means perhaps they're a little bit um, more like your father, mature in the faith, has already fought a bunch of battles. So as you're going through those same patches, he can be like, Hannah, there's victory on the other side. Um, I picture like that classic story of if there's a tree on the hill by itself, like it'll get beaten down mm. and it won't um, propagate properly. It'll just, it's so exposed. But a tree surrounded by other trees in the forest just grows and grows and grows. So finding Christians who inspire you and encourage you, it's almost like um, dating. You know, you're not just going to walk up to the first person you see and be like, hey, we're going to date. But you are finding someone um, who's like-minded, who's compassionate. And it's actually the same with friends and mentors. Mm -hmm. Like, it would be wonderful if every Christian we met was um, spiritually compatible with us as a mentor, as an encourager. And that's something I find uh, quite challenging sometimes, as I'm a little bit like a puppy. Yes, you're a Christian. I'm a Christian. Are we friends? Um, but realizing that we can sometimes reach out and be rebuffed by people we think will be really good for us spiritually. But... There are those people as we pursue um, relationships, whether it's with older mentors in the core as well, those old faithfuls who pray continually for us, who might only um, speak to you once in a while, but every time they do, they'll say, I've been praying for you, and you know the ones, and knowing that if we surround ourselves with those people, we too will be refreshed and will be um, yeah, encompassed around by the hand of God. I really like that picture. And also people who have like the others mindset too, because otherwise there's the danger of like forming the little club um, and staying in there. But we want people who like you come back in, you have the encouragement and then they propel you out because they're going out too. Um, and I don't really mean that the others are out there because um, that sounds a bit weird and I don't think right I think we're in the world um at times that we do just come in I think it's almost the idea of like the upper room we come into the upper room we spend time with our fellow believers and wait on God but we don't stay in the upper room we go out and we share the word we live these lives that people question so we need people who have that priority as well I like that in the bible um Jesus walked with all the riffraff you know, oh, like yeah. the woman um, with the issue of blood and, and Jewish culture and tradition, if Jesus touched her, he would have been unclean. 
um, because they didn't know he was the son of God and yet instead of um, her sickness or illness inflict- infecting him, his touch healed her mm. and he says to us as believers you'll do even greater things like you will go out, you will um, tread on snakes, you will, you will be my ambassadors on earth and I like that idea that it's not just us as this little um, compact unit but we are meant to be scattered like seed so we can grow those trees up around others. But that means that we do go out to where the others are, the ones who we might think are questionable, um, the ones who the Pharisees thought were questionable. Why does he eat with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes? And um, why does he let women cry on his feet and pour perfume on, you know? And yet Jesus set that example by hanging with the riffraff. And it means like riffraff like me get to hang with Jesus as well. And I think that's something you model um, very well. Well, one thing that Reggie Joyner says that I kind of want to adopt more into my life is that Jesus loved a party. And I heard someone say just today, someone said, Jesus' first miracle was to keep the party going longer. When he turned the water into wine, it was so that people wouldn't go home, but it would keep the party going longer. And I think that that's what Jesus did. And if he was here, that's what he'd be doing now, is he goes to the parties. So he says yes to the person who's playing poker down the road, and goes to the party or he says yes to go into the 21st of someone who oh my gosh there might be drinking there or there might be um people there who i don't know i want to be that's where jesus hung out and so we need to say yes to these opportunities to go to the parties because when we go to someone's party things change we've gone into that personal space and reggie joiner will tell his own story about going to his neighbor's party and um his neighbor said to him he knew as the pastor and said um, do you do parties? And he was like, what? And um, the neighbor said, well, would you come? Because it's my son's graduating from college and we just want someone to pray for him. You know, not a Christian family. So he went and from that point on, their relationship was different. That neighbor knew he could come to him when he needed help or when he wanted prayer or to ask those questions. And I think people have more questions than we realize. Like, what do people think when they drive past our church every day on the way to work? They know it's a church. I think the dangerous thing is that probably sometimes they think nothing, but I think that there are questions that people ask, so how do they know who to ask the questions of if we don't meet them? So we need to be going to the parties, we need to be going to the craft groups, we need to be joining the rugby, the community rugby teams, that's what Jesus would be doing. I like that, and it fits with Jesus going those places and not being... um controlled or conformed but he transformed those spaces around him I think it's important as we talk about um, is what I'm hearing what I want to be soaking in that we make kind of a clarification that when we're surrounded by believers ones who are supposed to be urging us on in the faith that's where we can apply that quite readily you know is this what I want to be soaking in It doesn't fit with the character of Christ. I need to remove myself or I need to speak in. Um, And yet when we're looking outside of um, our collection of that fellowship, when we are involved with um, the wider community, with our friends and family who don't know Jesus, well, odds are much of what we will be soaking in won't be what we want to be transformed into. But we don't need to be afraid of that, that we can speak in life and we can go to those places without worry of it transforming us into something that um, doesn't look like Jesus because we know who we are and where we're from. But like you said, starting that rhythm, that means we will recognize what Jesus would be doing in this situation, that it doesn't become a dry catchphrase, what would Jesus do? But it's actually a genuine call to arms. What would Jesus do? A genuine call to be with people and others. What would Jesus do? Mm. I really, yeah, I really like that, Hannah. Thanks. That's very cool. Something that you once said to me, which really challenged me, was that you often think about where the Salvation Army is going to be in 10 years and what that's going to look like. And I had never really considered that. I move from thing to thing um, every day, trying to just get a project across the line. But your vision was wider. What is the Army going to have on offer for the young entrepreneurs? What are we going to look like as we expand in a new level of leadership steps up? So what is your hope that the Salvation Army would look like in 10 years? Yeah, I mean, that is something that I think about really particularly as well in my work because... um, the fact is if we keep going the way we're going then I mean we might not even exist in 10 years as a church um 
So yeah, my hope in 10 years is that we're full of salvationists. All our quarantine centers are full of salvationists who are others focused. That we have claimed that we're the Salvation Army and that we're living these lives that people question because they glorify God and they look different for that reason. That's my like big hope and that's a little bit vague. So I also hope that we have lots of women and young people in leadership, that we are wow people and not how people, um, and that we yeah, are being really innovative. So we're finding opportunities to change our, to transform our communities and even the world. And so that's why I'm really excited. Like at my core, we've got um, Gemma, who's, she's actually changing the wetsuit industry in New Zealand, and I think probably wider, by being really innovative. Um, and so how can the Salvation Army support that? That's what I'd like to see, is that we're supporting Salvationists who are transforming the world, because she's living a questionable life. So how can we support her to do that? And also, I hope in 10 years that we um, have Quarren Centre who acknowledge that kids are not um, human beings, uh, like incomplete human beings, that are empty buckets that need to be filled, but that they're, they're human beings who have experienced God, who do encounter God, and can speak to us as much as we can speak to them. And of course there's things that we're learning, that they're learning, that we're training them in, but we're not waiting for when they're old enough for God to speak to and use them. They can actually speak to us now, and so that every every time we're interacting with kids, that that's what we're looking for. What does God want to say to me through through this kid today? Um, not just treating them as cute. They're so cute, but that's not all they are. Um, I think our kids are prophets. They're passionate, powerful prayers. They are worship leaders. They're some of the most hospitable people in our in our homes in our core in our center. Just just not long ago I had a kid who there were six of us sitting at the table and he had two pieces of chewing gum. So he kept one piece for himself and he split up that second piece of chewing gum into six pieces and made sure we all got of it. That's really hospitable. That's all he had. He had two pieces of gum. He doesn't know when his next sweet treat's coming. Yeah, so I'm ex I, that's what I hope in 10 years as well, is that we've got kids who are in leadership and regularly serving. They're just part of our, part of our serving rosters, part of our volunteer base. Um, and yeah, we're looking for them for what God's saying. I never thought about that, actually, that when that little boy brought his loaves and fishes to um, Jesus, there was what, how maybe 5,000, 7,000, including women and children. The Bible didn't record women and children, but we do because they are important. That actually there must have been other people in the crowd, perhaps, who had a snack or two on hand. But the Bible records that this little boy was the one who became the hero of the story. That when I hear that story told, it's often, you know, well, it is, of course, Jesus' miracle and just the food feeding everyone. And sometimes the story of the little boy, they're like, oh, you too should bring your small amount of loaves and fishes in the present day, 21st century. And yet, can you imagine for a second being that little boy and knowing that your little offering suddenly fed everyone and just your mind being blown, but probably not surprised as you'd witnessed this Christ mm -hmm. saying, come to me, all you who need rest, come to me, I'm the son of God. And he's like, okay. Here you go. And maybe that's one thing that Jesus meant when he said that we should be childlike. Like, I think if the adults in that space, that's all they had, they would have thought, well, I mean, what are we, what's Jesus going to do with a few fish and loaves? Like, there's 5,000 or there's 7,000 people here. But that didn't matter to the kid. He just brought what he had really humbly, probably innocently, and a bit naively, maybe. Maybe that's who we're supposed to be. As someone who just yeah doesn't question that a miracle can take place or or doesn't question what God's asking for even if it doesn't feel like enough or doesn't look right that's what he uses so yeah
It was, and yeah, just this this kid who pretty much was this little boy for us in, in the lunchroom the other day. Oh, I was so challenged by by him. So that's what I want, is that we're prepared for that. We seek out those opportunities. And yeah. Well, Jesus utilised heavily um, women in his ministries to fund. It was the women who travelled with Jesus who funded the ministry. He had women proclaiming the message of the resurrection when women's testimony wasn't even admitted back in the day. He had children performing, you know, being key, integral parts of his performing uh, miracles. And so, as you say, that you'd love to see more youth, more women in leadership, that you'd love to see children treated as complete human beings who can speak into us, that will require recognizing Jesus, being sensitive to the Holy Spirit, outliving that, looking at others and dismantling this hierarchy of uh, survival of the fittest because that what that's what leads us to objectifying others in terms of, oh, well, you can have this much. Come sit here next to me if you're fancy and look like me, but if you don't, go over there. Or as Jesus says, that we are all family and that we're working together when you're children at home you work together to get the jobs done. You celebrate together at the party, at the feasts. It's um, all for one and one for all. So I love that that is the spirit of what you're calling us to. All for one and one for all. And that, um, yeah, I would love to pray for you as we close the segment. Um, thank you, Hannah, for joining us. Thanks. Shall we pray? Yes. Yeah. Jesus, thank you that you invite us into community. Thank you that children became the example of holistic faith and belief. I pray for Hannah's vision that we would be a church made complete because every member is valued according to the way that you see us, not as others, but as members of your body. Help us to see the rest of your creation as you see it, precious and valued. Let us go out with you of touching others and not being worried we'll be um, transformed into something else, but knowing we are being transformed from glory unto glory as we spend times with you. Those rhythms of grace that Hannah was talking about, bless her ministry, bless her vision, and let that propulsion that she's experiencing by spending time with you be something that fires out rockets of new revival wherever she steps, preaches, speaks, and teaches. Let there be healing that comes from her just being in a room as we strive to look more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Herald's Podcast. Join us next episode when we chat with Gemma Cornish. Gemma is a Salvationist, award-winning wetsuit and swimwear designer, entrepreneur and ethical fashion guru. We chat with Gemma about the struggle to be ethical in a fast fashion world, how to be persistent even when it costs you, and how the church can join together for social action and change, even when people doubt that that's possible. I was very daunted by the idea, I was like, where do you start? This seems bigger than me. But I think it's when you realise that this is bigger than me that you realise this is coming from God, it's coming from a greater place. We'd love you to join our community. You can find us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash salvationarmy.wm or our website women.salvationarmy.org.nz Thanks to Jessica Keane and the Salvation Army Creative Ministries Department for producing this podcast. 